Uh, we're going to park the Numbers series for a couple of weeks uh, for obvious reasons. And today I want to speak on the seed, the snake, and salvation. And really to, to use that tremendous verse in Gen- Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In Genesis 3, as you know, there was uh, the, the great fall, the cataclysmic fall of humankind, and the Lord speaks into this situation. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have a prophetic word, a word that is given uh, to each of the key players, to Adam, to Eve, and to the snake, in other words, to Satan. And uh, here the Lord speaks to the snake, and He decrees a lifelong battle between Satan's offspring and the offspring of Eve, ultimately. It will come down to one person, the he mentioned in verse 15, he will crush your head, the serpent's head, and you, the serpent, will strike his heel. And this is big picture stuff we're looking at today. This is why I love Christmas. Yes, I love the, the lights. I love the smells of Christmas. I love the, I love the food, especially love the food. But I really love, I really love the big picture of what God is doing. And, and here in Genesis 3.15, we get a glimpse of the big picture of salvation. This is the Proto-Evangelion, the, the first gospel the first messianic prophecy that is given of a Savior who is to come. And it is often read as the first lesson in in the nine lessons and carols. This is the beginning of mankind's fall, but it is also the beginning of mankind's salvation. These verses, and this verse in particular, speaks of the conflict between the evil powers and goodness Human beings will have this battle between good and evil all around them as long as they live, but it is also within each one of us. John Stott says that Christians believe in the intrinsic worth of human beings because of our doctrines of creation and redemption. God made man male and female in his own image and gave them a responsible stewardship of creation. Human beings are godlike beings. We are made in God's image. But as a result of the fall, our godlikeness has been distorted, but it has not been destroyed. We are made in the image of God. The image of God in us because of the fall is distorted, but it is not destroyed. And this mixture of goodness and evil, of dignity, and depravity is our lot in life. It is a complicated mix in our world, and we're never far removed from this conflict. The pull of sin and Satan is strong, and every one of us born into this world is impacted by it. If you will, the snake is grasping onto the heel of every one of us. Who shall rescue us from this snake? Well, in Genesis 3.15, we find the prediction that the seed or the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the snake. And so the rest of the Bible will unfold and, and, and unpack this story, this line of salvation that will run through the Bible. 
We're remembered, uh, sorry, we're, we're reminded very clearly in the book of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. At the beginning of Matthew, we have a genealogy. Now, we, genealogies can be quite boring, just a list of names. But Matthew, at the beginning of his gospel, divides the generations into three sets of 14. And within each of those generations uh, of seed bearers, we, we, we see the fragility of the whole venture of salvation. It begins near, near, near the beginning, it begins with Abraham. Abraham was very old. Sarah was very old. Would he have a son? Would the offspring continue? Would the seed continue? After all, in Genesis 13, God had promised Abraham, I will make your offspring, your seed, like the dust of the earth. But Abram, we're told, is so old. His wife is so old. We're not even out of Genesis, and it looks like the snake is going to win. Abraham decides to take matters into his own hands. He gets Hagar pregnant. He tries to sire a line apart from God, but it doesn't work. But then Abraham uh, believes in God. It is credited to him as righteousness, and a son is born, Isaac. And from that one son, Isaac, the salvation line will proceed, and ultimately it would end in the one son of God, Jesus. Now, this line, as we have it in Matthew's gospel, is a real mixture of people, insiders and outsiders, dubious men and women who failed and faltered, showing that the battle within them was very much alive, this battle of good and evil. And sometimes the evil, the snake, seems to win, but God keeps the line going. On it goes through Judah and Tamar and Rahab and Ruth. David, Bathsheba, and Solomon, and a whole list of folks we've never heard of, and yet they're all part of the seed, all part of the offspring, all part of the line leading to the one who will crush the head of the snake. Andy McCulloch makes this point. The theme of victory through self-sacrifice and absorption of evil on behalf of another recurs through the generations. When Judah's half-brother Benjamin is accused of stealing the silver cup of the Egyptian, Judah offers himself on Benjamin's behalf. Boaz sacrificially marries the outsider Ruth. He absorbs the shame associated with her. The carpenter Joseph drinks the poison of the community's censure of the unmarried pregnant girl, Mary. By moving towards her, he steps into the firing line. He shelters her behind his broad shoulders. All three of these are venom absorbers. All three teach us that salvation is through sacrifice. This is the wonderful working of God through a line that is frail, vulnerable, sometimes even shameful at times. But God chooses to do His work until the one comes who will crush the head of the snake. But in that process, He will absorb the shame. And when that one comes, yes, His heel will be bitten. He will be placed on a cross. It looks like the end of Him, that the serpent has won. But on the third day, Christ rises from the grave. Oh, how amazing is the love of God that He should save us at great cost to Himself. 
Salvation always comes through cost, through the shedding of blood. The Scripture does say that. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. C.S. Lewis, in his Narnia novel, when he was talking about Aslan, said there was a deeper magic. It is the deeper magic of sacrifice, of self-sacrifice, of absorbing the wrath of the evil one, or in his case, the evil witch. Now, interestingly, of course, the seed that is planted in relation to Mary is not human seed, but divine seed by the Holy Spirit. The line of individuals and the offspring and the seed keeps going on down until it meets Joseph and Mary. But Mary is a virgin, and this offspring, this seed will be different. In Genesis 3.15, we get a little insight into this because it does not say there will be enmity between your offspring and his, but your offspring and her offspring. And this finds its greatest fulfillment in Mary. The divine came down to earth through Mary's womb. In the words of a favorite carol, God of God, light of light, lo, He abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created, O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. Let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. The eternal God, in the form of the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, comes down to us in human form. The Nicene Creed spells it out for us. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through Him all things were made for us men and for our salvation. He came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. God directly steps into the line of the seed of the offspring. And the virgin shall be with child, says Isaiah, and you will give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the line continues, and Satan tries to strike the little one's heel, indeed to kill off the child at birth. Satan's seed in the shape of Herod tries to kill off the child when he is but a few days old. Satan's offspring are busy trying to thwart the purposes of God. He keeps biting at heels, but God is sovereign. Down through the generations, God seeks to fulfill His promise of delivering a Savior, and He did, and He does it by providing a child, a small, vulnerable human baby beginning life in a manger. From the squalor of a borrowed stable, by the Spirit and a virgin's birth or faith, to the anguish and the shame of scandal came the Savior of the human race. But the skies were filled with the praise of heaven. Shepherds listen as the angels tell of the gift of God came down to man at the dawning of Emmanuel. See, the seed is small but growing, and the seed will grow into great things. 
Is this not what Jesus sought to teach us when he taught us and spoke of the parable of the mustard seed? From the very smallest of seeds, almost too small to see, comes the largest of trees. The church at times seems so, so small, so vulnerable, so weak, so frail. And yet it is through the church that God is building his kingdom. We are mustard seed people. The way up is the way down, says Jesus. The humble shall be exalted, and the kingdom comes to little children. You must become like a little child, says Jesus, to enter the kingdom, just like I became a little child, with a dependent, humble spirit. The snake people, the snake and his people, they say, we will never bow the knee. We are self-made men and women. They sing, I do, I'll do it my way. But Mary humbly bows and says, Lord, your will be done. I am your servant. Are we of the snake people or the seed people of the child? Our imagination is taken up by Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah takes this picture of, of the seed or the stump and the child, and he brings them together in this lovely prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11. The wolf will live with the lamb. Now he's starting to look at the end times. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah is a wonderful prophet. He's a great prophet for the end times. He draws back and he gives us glimpses of the end time. He, he kind of draws back the curtain of history and he gives us a glimpse of what is to come. And he gives us this lovely picture of a child leading the animals and even putting his hand into the viper's nest. You see, the snake crusher is a child, the child. Where Adam, the first child of God, failed, Jesus, the second Adam, the Son of God, has succeeded. He crushes the head of Satan upon the cross. Yes, he still allows Satan room. Satan is still alive. Satan is still around. He's still tempting and testing and lying and deceiving. But ultimately, the sting of death has been drawn. In this portrait that Isaiah gives us, he paints the wolf living with the lamb, a little child reaching into the nest of the viper or the cobra. And they're not harmed, they're not stung, they're not bitten because the sting of death has been drawn. The power of sin and Satan have been removed and we shall be saved. The child has conquered, the weak has shamed the strong and the defenseless has defeated the weaponized. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we have been redeemed 
from the snake and from his people. And then as we keep going on through history, we keep going on through the Bible, ultimately we land in the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation. And I want you to look up, if you have a Bible in front of you there, I want you to look up Revelation chapter 12. I think it's one, page 1241. It is, 1241. I want you to look up Revelation chapter 12, because I'm going to read the whole chapter, and you will see glimpses in this of the story we have already been unfolding and and telling. Revelation chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient snake called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time, out of the snake's reach. And then from his mouth the snake spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. And if you're not keeping up, that's us. That's the church. Revelation 12, Isaiah 11, back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's all the big story, past, present, future. It is an outworking of Genesis 3 and 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, your seed, and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. 
We are the offspring of Eve, but we are also the offspring of Mary, the church of Jesus Christ. The snake keeps biting, but one day he will be completely crushed, and man shall live forevermore because of Christmas Day. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, our living hope. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us an insight into your salvation story. How we love this season because it speaks of the child, the Savior, the one who would come. His heel would be bitten by the snake. But he came and he crushed the head on the cross at Calvary. And that victory was confirmed as Jesus rose from the grave on that third day. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And one day in a second advent, he will return. He returns for his church, for his offspring. We look forward to that day. Glory be to his name. Amen.